welcome to Phoenix Foundation, an episode-by-episode podcast review of CBS's action-adventure series, MacGyver. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we'll be tackling Season 1, Episode 12, Deathlock. The original air date for this episode was January 22nd, 1986. It was directed by Alexander Singer and written by Stephen Candell, the mm-hmm. classic Stephen Candell. Um, and we have, very sadly, our last opening gambit. Yeah, I, it's it's hard to believe. And I didn't realize that they ended so early in the series. I just felt like they, they continued on, but this is the last one. Um, it's a hell of a note to go out on. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the last opening gambit was directed by Cliff Bowl, who we're going to see a lot from, and uh, it was written by Jerry Ludwig. So uh, let's uh, cover uh, in brief the opening gambit, and then uh, move on to the episode. Okay. Uh <clears throat> The opening gambit is uh, a strange little tale of MacGyver trying to make his way out of uh, Eastern Europe in the guise of a funeral procession, where he's a man in a coffin. Got to get him across the border. And uh, the episode itself is kind of... Actually, this is interesting because the opening gambit is related to the episode. Um, uh, Because he's now returning from that mission with information right and he's supposed to give a handoff to pete for the foundation at this private estate but it turns out that the house has been rigged to kill everybody inside and macgyver's got to find a way to get out and this is the i think this is the first time that the opening gambit has had anything to do with the actual mission of the episode as as far as i can remember because most of them have been pretty isolated incidents the closest we get is in target macgyver where there's sort of a second opening gambit that relates to the episode in that they're they're getting revenge on him for having blown up this nuclear facility. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, this is the first time that it actually had any bearing on, on the full episode, and it was considered an opening gambit. I mean, it's credited mm-hmm. as an opening gambit. Correct. Um, so yeah, this opening gambit is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, even though it's, it's probably ninety six percent stock footage. Yeah, or, or yeah, footage from uh, what was the movie? It's called Funeral in Berlin. It was uh, nineteen sixty six. Um, and it's actually the second time we're seeing so much stock footage being used from a Michael Caine movie from the 60s, because uh, we had that with uh, Thief of Budapest with the and... Um, Italian Job. The Italian Job, yeah. So the opening game is pretty simple. Like MacGyver's mostly doing voiceover, uh, and we see a funeral procession kind of going on. It's just Well, it's just the hearse, and uh, we get these intercut with uh, MacGyver inside the coffin with an oxygen, oxygen tank, too, so he must be sealed in there pretty tight. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, it's intercut with the, the footage from the film of the... Although there's no tank when the yeah, coffin comes apart I mean, later. Well, I mean, he completely blows apart. Maybe that was the, the pneumatics that yeah, actually blew it, was, it apart. It was attached to some of the pieces that broke away. Or maybe the tank is like built into it somehow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just the gas fumes from the... Yeah, he's just sucking the on the exhaust. <laughs> um, the big surprise on that later. Um, so the plan is to sneak him out through this funeral. Right. Uh, which was, I imagine, the plot of the movie. I think in the movie, there's actually supposed to be a body in the coffin. Oh, a real body? It's not. That's not how. I don't. I don't think out. it's supposed to be a person escaping. But you know, I haven't seen the movie, so I don't really know. But mm. I think from from what I read, it, it had to do with like smuggling a body of an important person across the line. So okay, I, I'll, I'll have to look that up. Right. Verify. So uh, you know, the the cars pull up. The the Germ- uh, the East Germans are checking the the papers for everything, making sure everything's in order. And they allow the mourners from the other side, from the west side, to come and help carry the coffin across the border. Um, and they, they enlist the, the help of uh, 
of one of the customs agents or the one of the border patrol agents. Right, yeah. But then the border patrol agent immediately helps them throw the coffin over the edge into the water. Is he one of the four that throws yeah. it? Yeah. That's funny. It's it's weird, like Well, it's because the by that point like I'm sure in the movie the joke is this guy's helping us like defeat him by being one of the pallbearers for this mm-hmm. situation. But then the guy that throws the coffin off the bridge, that's from the new footage. Exactly, yeah. So that didn't happen in the original movie. Yeah, so so they, maybe they just forgot that that guy wasn't on the, their team. Right. Yeah, they... it's, it's important to note that they that they did shoot some some new footage that was meant to match Yeah, they the put scenes. kind of a glow on it. There's a bit yeah. of a haze over the footage. To, yeah, to try to, I guess to try to match the blurriness of the, the footage that they had. Yeah. Good attempt. So we have, um, there's like a guy that's sort of in like a control tower, it looks like, that's mm-hmm. catching on to what's going on. Yeah. That footage is new. We have... Um, Suddenly, people are running across the bridge, and it looks like it's the same bridge. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Like I I don't know where that bridge is, but it, it's a close match. It's like a steel girder, yeah. crisscross kind of girder bridge. And then them throwing the coffin off the side of the bridge is new. That's new, yeah. And the people shooting off the side of the bridge is new mm-hmm. after the coffin. And when they throw that coffin over the edge, and MacGyver hits the water, he's got this little like golden uh, trigger. He's a, yeah, he has a control switch that just blasts off the outer shell of the coffin. Yeah, it just completely blows apart, and then he's, he turns into a jet ski. It's a, it's a jet ski coffin. <laughs> oh my gosh. He it just was... sits up, grabs the handles, and just takes off okay. while he's getting shot at. And, and the jet ski is wood-paneled. Right, like, to match the coffin, needlessly, coffin. <laughs> because it wasn't even exposed, any of that part. But it just looks so cool. Like, I would love to have a wood panel jet ski. Yeah, oh Or even, like, why couldn't you make those parts out of wood? Like, that would just be awesome. Yeah, there's there's no reason you couldn't. Yeah. Um, but it looks great, and he always, you know, so he just, like, takes off down the down the river. Um, and uh, the, the guys on the bridge, the, the East Germans, start opening fire. Yeah. Apparently, the, the people on the West German side just managed to make it across the border without any problems. Yeah. Uh, which is weird that he needed to go through all this rigmarole. I mean, why couldn't they just, like, just drive up to the edge of the river and just ski across? I don't know. Yeah. And this is his now uh, third time in, in 12 episodes that he's coming across the Iron Curtain border mm-hmm. and under under precarious situations. Right. Um. And also, it's it's uh, worth noting the uh, the actor, one of the actors that's that's playing the pallbearer. Um, he's the guy on the far right when they show the sh- the profile shot of the three of them. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy on the far right is is named Wolfgang Volz, and uh, he actually does the voice of Pete for the German version of MacGyver. The like for, the, for the whole run of the series, he's the German voice wow. of, of Pete Thornton. So it just happened to be in the movie uh, Funeral in Berlin, right? Because the, the, the German distribution wouldn't have happened for a while i would imagine right yeah so it wasn't like they they knew like hey we know you do the dubs here where we want to be in an episode yeah exactly but still that's cool like he's got a double legacy of macgyver he he's in it and does the voice yeah yeah. but of course he makes a daring escape on the jet ski even does a little bit of a flashy uh spin around in the water and yeah uh, that's a little much i think it's like just just escape they're still shooting at you yeah uh but he gets away but it's probably the coolest getaway we've had so far. Yeah, and a good and a good ending to the opening gambits. Yeah, it's a it's such a memorable moment. Yeah, sorry to see him go, but I mean, you, you talk to anybody with sort of a light uh, recollection of MacGyver, mm. and 
the craziest invention they can name off the top of their head is usually the coffin jet ski. Yeah. It's a it's a thing that that I have had come up when I when I tell people that I co-host a MacGyver podcast, they always ask, "Did you cover the one with the coffin jet ski?" <laughs> now I can say we have. Yes. And then we move into the episode. Yeah, so as we said before, the episode is directly related to the opening gamut, like the thing that he was escaping with, which he, I think he had like a little uh, miniature spy camera. And uh, so whatever he took pictures of was very important. So he arrives in L.A. via helicopter and lands at the uh, federal building. It's well, like, before that even, the first shot is quail. Oh, that's right. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, the beginning is, is it's just like an all black room mm-hmm. um, and quail is under like a spotlight and he's being questioned by these three shadowy figures. It's right. kind of bohemian rhapsody lighting. <laughs> and uh, they're basically lecturing him on having let MacGyver go in the past. And right. he's pleading with them for another shot at this. Yeah, he's prepared like a report, and he says it's perfect in every detail. And he, uh, Quail here looks kind of like um, if Sting had a kid with David Hyde Pierce. Yeah. I oh, think, yeah. Um, Very high forehead. Yeah. But but he's got David Hyde Pierce's voice too, mm-hmm. and uh, and a little bit of funky facial hair that I don't, I don't think can be attributed to either of his fathers. <laughs> but um, and his hair is very odd. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll comment. Well, you see more of that later than you do yeah. here. But think Bill Murray and Kingpin. <laughs> right. Yes. Exactly. Ernie McCracken. Um, but uh, we have uh, these three nameless men who actually appear um, later on. Quail uh, is played by Christopher Neem. Yeah, Neem or Name. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce it. Yeah. We tried to reach out to him for the show. Um, I'm not finding any contact information, but mm-hmm. uh, I was worried at first because when you Google Christopher Neem spelled this way, the first thing that comes up is a is the name of a producer right. who passed away very recently. Yeah. Um, it's, it doesn't seem to be the same person. It seems that there's about a 12-year difference in their ages. Yeah, but it's but it's it was it was close enough that when I looked it up, I was like, oh go, oh no. Yeah. You know, it, but it I was... think I think Quail is still with us. I mean, all apologies mm-hmm. to the other Christopher Neem's family. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, Christopher Neem here, the Quail character, uh, is going to come back as Eric von Leer in a two-part episode mm-hmm. called "The Legend of the Holy Rose," which is uh, season five, episodes one and two. And then he also comes back as Duncan in Goodnight MacGyver, part one. He's not in part two, so <laughs> that doesn't bode well. That's season seven, episode seven, yeah. is, uh, is Goodnight MacGyver. Um, and he also uh, played the maitre d' in Ghostbusters 2 when they <laughs> when they come into the restaurant right. where uh, Dana Barrett right. is having her dinner and the guys are all covered in slime. Um, and then we don't remember exactly who Fallon is from License to Kill, but he was apparently Fallon. Yeah, uh, like License to Kill is... Not my favorite James Bond movie, so it's it, it. I just can't picture him. I I really like both of both of uh, Dalton's turns as as uh, James Bond. I, I love Living Daylights. Don't get me wrong. Living yeah, Daylights, Living Daylights I think is, is great, really but I I even liked License to Kill though. Is License to Kill the one where at the beginning uh, the, they do the, the shark wedding. thing? Yeah, yeah. I, I just don't like I don't like the Bond revenge stories. This yeah. Just like it was Diamonds Are Forever was a revenge story kind of. Or no, no, it was but um uh like. Die Another Day was kind of a revenge story. Sure. Uh, I don't know. I just – I don't like Bond going off the reservation. I like I like him doing mission for good, greater yeah. good. But isn't Diamonds Are Forever starts out as a revenge story because he's, he's like investigating like whoever killed his wife and on Her Majesty's Secret Service and he's like slapping women around to get information. Yeah, that, that's true. Uh, it's, it's a very odd opening. And it leads him to Blofeld 
who yeah. at this point has like a new mission in mind or whatever. Yeah. Um, we're way off track here. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, uh, the three people that are uh, interviewing Quail for uh, this position at the beginning, um, one of them, uh, man number one, is uh, Eric Holland, who plays the fire commissioner in Ghostbusters 2. So mm. I just thought that was funny. They were both in Ghostbusters 2 together. But um, the, these three characters have the same credits in uh, season two of episode nine, Silent World. And, okay. ag- and again, we're seeing them in a dark room, sort of like backlit, um, interviewing someone. Um, but yeah, so it's it's the same three actors playing the yeah. three parts, so they do come back. Um, the uh, It's been suspected on the MacGyver Online forums that this is sort of a precursor to the hit group okay the, the homicide international trust that becomes like the, the major opposition team yeah it's, specter yeah it's, the, it's macgyver's specter situation yeah so he's pleading with them for the opportunity to um take down macgyver again because i guess in a meeting that we haven't seen previously they encountered each other and right. uh, macgyver tricked him basically he stole a plane full of some Military materials. computers, I think, is what they, they yeah, say. Yeah, and it was. then MacGyver stole the plane back. But yeah. He, he covers that a little bit later. But uh, it sounds like they're granting him this mission, mm-hmm. um, and he appreciates it, and uh, and he lets them know that, that he won't fail them again. From there, we go to MacGyver arriving downtown landing via helicopter right. at the tingloff the something tower. Yeah, yeah, a weird name, but it's a, it's a hotel, though, for in real reality, right? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. So uh, at least according to the locations sheet on the on Artie mm-hmm. Anderson, it's a it's a really unique building in Los Angeles because it's got those four cylinders yeah. on, on each corner. And uh, as soon as he comes out, he so he's wearing this really amazing leather jacket, and I I call it the Rocketeer jacket only because <laughs> it's got the like right. the buttons. it's like goes diagonal up the side, yeah, and then cuts across, and and he's got the really high collar and he's got it up, and yeah. so it's like oh man, this is just this is the exact same leather jacket from the Rocketeer practically, except this one has pockets. But as soon as he comes out of the building, there he gets this weird, weird feeling, and there's a couple of guys in suits kind of mingling around and making their way close to him. And, uh, and it's, it's unclear if they're actually a part of this plan. Like, did they stage those guys out there? Yeah, I think I think that comes out later in that because MacGyver says like the goons didn't try to follow us after right. we got away. But but there were three guys that were staged there to look like assassins at the very yes. least. Yes. Uh, because so the guys start moving in on MacGyver, and that's when this red sports car races up and actually onto, onto the, the sidewalk. sidewalk. Yeah, um, you can't park here. And this is Karen Blake, <laughs> correct? Um, and he, she flashes her her badge. She, I guess she works at DXS also. Yeah, that, that it was hard. To, it was it, it happened so fast. It definitely says United States of America. Right. Uh, Karen Blake, uh, played by Wendy Shaw, who uh, for me is uh, someone who I know quite well only from my Joe Dante obsession. Right. She is she is an, uh, a regular of his. Yeah, she's in been appearance. in three Joe Dante movies. Mm-hmm. She was in Inner Space, um, the, Burbs. the Burbs, and Small Soldiers. Yeah, which uh, I th- I think Small Soldiers is underrated. You're not uh, a fan. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of Small Soldiers. But um, and um, most people I think now would recognize her as the voice of Francine from American. Correct. Band. Yeah, and she's great on that. Yeah, she's also in Batteries Not Included. Which is, is she? Yeah. Okay, I haven't watched that movie in years. I love that movie. That's a Brad Bird, I think. Right. Is it? No. I think Brad Bird directed or wrote it. Okay, maybe wrote it. Maybe he wrote it. Uh, and uh, she says, you know, oh, you know, uh, I'm here to get you from these three guys who are going to put a hit on you. And, and MacGyver, later she does say something about how she works for the department, which we're assuming is yeah. the Department of External Services. But MacGyver then gives her a test, like a right. real quick test. Yeah. Because he says, uh, you know, she talks about. She Pete. says Pete sent her. Yeah. And so he says, so how is the general? 
And she says he's fine, except that he's a colonel. She says generally he's good. Yeah. <laughs> Pete is a colonel. So it was it was it was a nice move by MacGyver to make sure that she had any affiliation with him yeah. at all, and that he's not getting in a car that's going to explode or something. Mm-hmm. And then he uses the opportunity because the whole thing is like she's pretending to be his girlfriend, calling him baby, I love you. And, and since she can't break her cover, he just yeah. decides he's gonna make out with her. Yeah, right, right in public, he just grabs her and makes a kiss. One of three kisses he will he will take from her in this episode. And they get more and more awkward as we go forward. Yeah, um, and you can just tell that she's just like, oh god. And then uh, suddenly he's calling her Lula Bell. Yeah, just for no reason. <laughs> oh, Lulabelle. <laughs> I love this girl. You love her too. <laughs> like, just to random strangers. Yeah. Um, and then when they get in the car, she's like, My name is Karen Blake. And he's, mm-hmm. and he's like, Yeah, remember five seconds ago when you showed me your badge? Yeah, I saw it. Like <laughs> I know what your name is. I'm calling you Lulabelle as part of the cover. <laughs> just go with it. It's been established. Uh, and then she takes him out to the house. Right. The the crazy house. Which uh, is Greystone mm, which uh, in Los very, Angeles. Very famous house for yeah. L.A. It's in a lot of stuff. A lot of th- stuff, but also there is the history of it, which you should look up. Um, there's murders and ghosts, and it's just a crazy, crazy place. And actually, um, the eagle-eyed uh, Mac Jackson of the original MacGyver podcast pointed out recently that they're using Greystone as Howard Stark's home on the new Marvel uh, Peggy oh, okay. Carter series. I have not watched that yet. Yeah, so we'll, we'll put, um, I, I grabbed a couple of screenshots from it. Um, we'll put those up on, on the website. But uh, yeah, he was like, it, it, he mentioned it on, on Facebook and I pulled up the, the episode and watched it. And sure enough, yeah, I mean, the the railings on the stairs are very recognizable, mm-hmm. um, but it's definitely that same grand staircase and they come in through the same door. Um, yeah. Well, it's a historic building, so I imagine they maintain, they maintain it pretty well. Sure, and it's in a lot of movies yeah. too. In addition to just having this crazy storied history. So they drive up the – they pull up the driveway, which is this you know really long, windy uh, way to get up to the house. It's a big estate, a lot of property. And uh, you know, they, as soon as they walk in, we already see that Quail's watching them on monitors. Yes. And he's got Quail's in this little control room full of uh, classic James Bond style, like servers with blinking lights, but he's also got a fish tank with like freshwater sharks. <laughs> Does he really? Yeah, he's got this fish tank. I never noticed that. <laughs> it's just like, why did he have this whole setup with fish? Maybe they just happened to be in the room where he set up his yeah. control. Like, like he he's not villainous enough. What if he had? What if he had a fish tank full of sharks? <laughs> yeah, we got to complete the the image here. Because, but that, but see that that's opposite. That makes him seem like he's caring. Like obviously, like sharks are like deadly thing. But then he's like taking. He's got to have to take the time to feed him and keep the yeah, tank yeah, yeah. clean. I would have loved to have seen the intercut with them wandering through the house. He's cleaning the fish. Yeah, tank. the time that he spent like setting this house up mm-hmm. is is already ridiculous when you don't include the time that he was like, okay, well, I have to uh, hold the sharks in like a separate tank until the water is at the right pH level for yeah. me to move them into the big tank and. You know, you just imagine him like sitting there with a clock, like reading a magazine, just waiting. Yeah. Well, and and you know, like it's a big house, and he's got the whole place rigged. And and you had mentioned that you were. Um, it seemed to you that the the cameras were the actual cameras in the house. Yeah. It, well, because of the the weird camera angles on Quail's monitors seem like these really high up angles like looking down on everything. It's like I mean, I imagine they could have gotten it, but the fact that, that they're that so isn't the the 
type of energy they've they've typically put into security cameras on the show so far. Yeah, and and the fact that almost all the static security camera shots are the same shots in the same angles from the same rooms. Yeah, there are a couple of like free floating camera shots that are like okay, that's clearly, but some of them are just like the you you see people walking in the hallways and it, I'm certain that it must have been like the actual security for the house. Yeah, which it seems like it would be weird that it would need such high security, but. Maybe. But yeah, you know, it's it's a you know I imagine there are fanciful things inside. Sure. Um, so when uh, they first pull up to the house, we do have Pete uh, coming down uh, the staircase to meet them at the door, mm-hmm. and uh, MacGyver congratulates him on his promotion to uh, I believe it's deputy director, right? Uh, or deputy uh, chief? Deputy chief, yeah, deputy chief now of the of the DXS. So like he Pete's doing good stuff. They have this really great little moment where he's like telling Karen about MacGyver. Like he says, I first met this guy in the Wadi Nafud desert, yeah. which I couldn't find the, the Wadi Nafud, but the there's, Nafud yeah, desert. Yeah, there's a Nafud, and Wadi is the Arabic word for like dry land. Yeah. And so, but the, the Nafud desert is something that like Lawrence of Arabia talks about. Like yeah. And yeah. T. Lawrence talks about in his book. And uh, it's possible here that they're making this story up. Like in the, in the MacGyver universe, it's possible mm-hmm. that, that they're, this story is like a cover for how they actually met. Right. That's unnecessary. But, um, cause later on we, we have a contradictory, um, mm. uh, meeting story of them and, and it's a Murdoch story. Yeah. But, um, it sort of contradicts this, this particular story of how they met each other. Um, yeah. So maybe, maybe we'll get more information, but I doubt it. I think it's just, it's just a continuity error that will never be brought up again. Yeah. Um, and actually, um, according to season two, episode 20, um, which is called Friends. Um, this is supposed to be the first mission that Pete actually sent Mac on. So okay. the whole jet ski escape thing is the first mission that he's, he's ever been sent on by Pete. So presumably Nightmares is supposed mm-hmm. to take place after this episode. Okay. Or maybe Pete didn't send him, send on, him on that mission. Like yeah, he, yeah. Like he, they... he was not in the position to to authorize missions. Maybe now as Deputy Chief, he's, he's authorized to yeah. do that. Um. But the stuff that he has on the camera is, you know, Pete says that that's very important. And <laughs> yeah, he's, he, he flashes this camera and it's like a microfilm situation. He mm-hmm. took pictures on this mini camera and he flashes it to Pete and Pete says, that is very important. Yeah. So thanks for that. And it's just, a, it's, it's an odd line. I yeah. Thought, but it, it's funny. Like the gesture that he does with it when mm-hmm. he's pointing at the camera. Because like nowadays, like that's like a very sarcastic thing to say. So thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, they go into this trophy room, I guess. I would call it a trophy room. It's, sure, yeah. It's full of uh, taxer, taxidermized. Is that the proper? Taxidermied. Taxidermied? <laughs> That's what it is. Is it taxidermied? Yeah. Okay. Um, I've, I've watched the Chuck Testa commercial too many times. <laughs> Chuck Testa. Chuck Testa. I've only watched the musical version of that. Oh. Um, inside the trophy room uh, waiting for them is Mrs. Chung, who is their crypt analyst. I, right. I, I, you know, she said that she solves puzzles. I solve puzzles. With the help of a computer. So I don't know how much she actually solves of them. And luckily for them, the computer has been fully programmed. Yeah. For their needs. Uh, Mrs. Chung here uh, has been in a bunch of stuff, but the, the biggest thing uh, that, that I saw when I was scrolling through her IMDb was that she was the maid in Chinatown. She was the maid at, like, the big house. Oh, okay. That, um, and uh, James, uh, James Hong, who we'll see later, was the yeah. gardener in Chinatown. Mm-hmm. Um, He's going to be coming up, I think, season two probably for and the he'll Wish be in a, he'll be in a couple episodes, I yeah. think. James Hong is, is very prolific. Yeah, I love that guy. 
low pan. <laughs> Mrs. Chung goes over to the computer and <laughs> it comes on by itself. Quill, yeah, Quill. automatically turns itself on. Yeah. I have not activated it. Um, and uh, so Quill's obviously triggering everything now. Like he's he's starting to lock down the house, and the uh, the computer blows up. Uh, everyone's kind of freaking out. Doors and windows are cl- clang- clanging shut, and uh, that's when uh, he starts his great voiceover. He's already mixing metaphors. The <laughs> the two holidays he just mentioned are a full six months apart. Uh, he's just really excited to be shouting catchphrases at them already. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, trick or treat! It's April Fools! Merry Hanukkah! <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so. Um, it seems like almost every line of dialogue that the quail has in this episode was written specifically to be cut into, and I'm calling him the quail for yeah, some reason. Yeah, yeah, that's weird. Um, <laughs> because it seems like a Batman villain to me, like he's the penguin. Yeah. But um, every line that quail has in this episode um, feels like it was written specifically for a commercial for this episode. Like, yeah. A new chess game and a new master, MacGyver. <laughs> Let's just say you are my perfect challenge. <laughs> yeah, it just it sounds like something you would cut right at the end of like your 30 second spot mm-hmm. before the next episode of Magnum PI starts up. Uh, Mrs. Chung panics. Right. And, and runs to the door and MacGyver's all, don't touch that door. Yeah. For someone who's great with puzzles, seems yeah. like she's not so great with like real life puzzles. And she's instantly stabbed by the doorknob, which yeah, is crazy. Yeah. There's like a needle sticking out of it, which did it just, did we, do we see it shoot out of the handle? I think it, it does shoot out. Like it's okay. not there when she reaches and then when it, it, it comes there and she's been, she's been drugged. It's like with a, she injected with some kind of. It's like an anesthetic or something because mm-hmm. she, she's just knocked out, but she's not, I mean, at least according to Quail. Yeah. She's not hurt in a serious way yeah um and then quail appears on the on the tv and starts like monologuing where he was creeping you out by maintaining an eyeline with everyone in the room yeah it's like it's it's almost a silly thing it's almost like kind of comedic but at the same time the fact that he's probably got monitors on either side of him so he knows where they are yeah in the room and he's looking back and forth at the monitor and the the, the... as he's talking to as he's addressing macgyver and Mm -hmm. wendy shaw as karen blake yeah i mean it it is awkward because the camera angle will change on him as well like sometimes it'll be a wide shot sometimes it'll be the close-up of his face right yeah um and uh, th- uh, this is where we learn about Quail's involvement with MacGyver previously. Like, Pete says, he knows you. Who is he? Um, and that's he when says, talk- use the name Quail. But the subtitles on Netflix say, use the name Quail. Mm-hmm. But I think it should be used. So yeah. if anybody knows anyone on Netflix, they can get that corrected. <laughs> it's very odd. <laughs> totally it, unnecessary. It, it, both, both, both lines, though, by the way, don't make sense. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, we talk about that. We already talked about that he stole the plane of military computers. And MacGyver says, "Your people weren't too happy about that." And you instantly get this look on Quail. He says, "No, they punished me. Yeah. They punished me because of you." Yeah. And it's like, "Oh my God, what? What Some, did they do to him?" Something terrible happened to Quail. Yeah. And, and when he's back in the room getting this mission, they say, "You, you, you'll remember what happened the last time you failed." And he's like, "Yes, sir." I remember. And he just goes real dark. Yeah, it's got, so it like, had to have been some kind of crazy he, psychological. He's like getting waterboarded for a year mm-hmm. or something like that. It's some something, something bad happened. Yeah, he's like, now it's my game, my board, my rules. It, right. <laughs> Try he, to find me, please. <laughs> he's so excited <laughs> he's about very, this. He's very giddy. Um, Pete goes over to grab, try to make a phone call, and it just like just dissolves it just crumbles in, his, in hand. his hand. It reminded me of. Uh, the scene from the gate. Oh yeah. Where the phone just starts melting. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that movie's 
freaky. MacGyver then, like, uh, they start looking for a way out, and they go to the front door, and MacGyver, MacGyver does this thing with his knife, and he does it a lot. Yeah, where he, he's, he's testing for electricity. Yeah, it This just, is a regular move for him, though. Yeah, it just seems like, I mean, maybe the knife doesn't conduct... But there is a metal band the whole way around it. Right. It seems like it would be possible to accidentally complete a circuit. Yeah. Or just or just to, to get a shock or something. Yeah. But he he's always using his knife to tap or cut through electrical circuits that are lo- that are hot. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I know electricity takes the path of least resistance, blah blah blah. But I yeah, don't know. it's not gonna it's not gonna go around through the knife. Yeah. Um, but of course, the door isn't electrified, and right. they open it up, and it's just uh, everything seems fine, and Pete's all, "I don't believe it." Mm. Yeah, MacGyver's like, "I don't either." Yeah. So they grab this uh, suit of armor. And just uh, kind of start leaning it outside. Right. And that's when we get our first kind of glimpse of these motion tracking machine guns that uh, I, I really love the motion sensor. It's because it's this it's big this red box. Yeah, it's this big box, but it's like segmented eyes like a like a like a insect. Or yeah, something. insect eye like a like a fly's eyes, um, which gives it this weird effect. And uh, it's just immediately just starts opening fire at the suit of armor. The thing that bugged me about them being red, though, was that I, I assumed that it's using infrared to detect mm. the motion, which, if it did, wouldn't it know the difference between a person and an empty suit of armor? Yeah. Yeah, because the armor wouldn't have any if The body heat. heat would be different, yeah. yeah. Exactly. But either way, the these guns are clearly not in Quail's control, which would have he should have had some kind of an override, maybe. But well, he had, he to turn them on, he had four switches. Yeah. It was like safety, caution activate armed <laughs> and these guns also aren't very well hidden like it seems like they should have noticed them on their way up the driveway yeah it's kind of odd they're they're just they are just sitting out there but immediately one of them whichever one is closest to the the front door opens mm-hmm. fire on this suit of armor that they're leaning out the door my theory here is that this was probably a pretty expensive prop and they didn't want to do any damage to it so you see sparks coming off it the whole time but there's not mm-hmm. actually any holes being put in this suit of armor yeah and there are two of them by the door so i feel like I, maybe Pete couldn't have fit in one, but <laughs> if if we at least put Karen Blake and MacGyver in them at this point, we have an escape plan. Or what I would do is just like I just keep it hanging out there and just let the guns unload yeah, until they're empty. They, they can't fire forever, right? <laughs> even 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 if they had uh, like hundreds of thousands of bullets, the gun would get so hot from yeah. firing it would just eventually just jam. Yeah, uh, but that doesn't happen. Uh, no, they pull the suit back in and it kind of crumbles, falls apart mm-hmm. on the floor. Um, and then MacGyver scoops it all up in a blanket and says, well, let's go to the kitchen. Maybe we have some maybe we have some ideas that he hasn't thought of or something. Like yeah. That. And the kitchen is fully stocked, by the way. This, this is like a completely modern kitchen with all kinds it's of appliances. It's probably actually the kitchen at on the grounds. Yeah. I mean, the, the, like we said, the front door, the driveway most of the interior of the house is actually the interior yeah so there's no reason that they would have like had to fake a different kitchen it, it, it's just it's just weird in the in the concept of this being a dxs safe house right that that they had the whole kitchen stock well i wonder if it actually was a dxs safe house or if it just got snuck into their listing for mm. the purposes of this one mission because That's true. because other if it actually was a dxs safe house quail would have had to have been working on this house for a long time i'm wondering if she had something to do with this like he picked the house, she worked then it into their worked database. it into the yeah. That sounds right because, because it, it seems like that's part of her job at DXS because she's the one escorting him to the safe house. Yeah, so that would make sense. Um, so while 
you know, they, MacGyver starts putting together all this stuff in the kitchen. He says and, he's going to heterodyne the frequency. Yeah, heterodyne, uh, which is cool because actually that, that is a – it's a, heterodyning is is basically taking a, a frequency or signal and, and then – jamming it? Well, no, it's, um, it's upping or lowering the frequency with the addition of another frequency. Basically, oh, okay. you, basically, you're combining frequencies. So you're broadcasting like more. You're broadcasting noise, or you're boosting the well, the broadcast. It's, you're, you're it's you're combining two frequencies, and so as a result, you get a new frequency. Oh, okay. And since his TV cameras are operating on a specific frequency, which is radio for some reason, it should have been closed circuit. Yeah, yeah, it should have been closed circuit, but uh, because of that, like his his receiver can no longer receive that information because right. it's set to a specific frequency. Right. So um, it's not exactly what uh, what he does with the thief from Budapest with the da, 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 da. it's a little bit different though. <laughs> yeah, it's a similar concept. It is it is jamming the signal. Yeah. But before, while he's setting stuff up, he is just goading on and stroking Quail's ego. Yeah. Like, and Pete's like instantly playing along with it. Yeah. Too. It, it's so weird and it's clear that they're just like hamming it up but quail's just buying into it 100 yeah, yeah. He's, he's just like compliments acknowledged macgyver oh and then they're like wow i've never been pinned down so tight and yeah it's just like well i had the perfect target or whatever <laughs> he's just they're totally they have crushes on each other yeah it's it's really amazing by plugging in all the appliances and uh, running everything simultaneously yeah first of all terrible for electrical but right um and as we mentioned, the so it jams it jams his ability to see the camera in that particular room. Uh, also creates a audio nightmare for for every scene from the, in the kitchen. Yeah, because you have just have the ambient noise of blenders <laughs> just, running. It's perfect. Um, from here, they come up with a plan to. Uh, Pete mentions that he has his satellite phone hidden in a secret room, and if he can get to it, then they can make a call. But because he's got, they know that Quail has cameras everywhere. That they have to go out separately to separately. distract him. Yeah, he won't be able to follow all three of them. But they but never the, do but that. They go out one at a time. They go so. out one at a time. Well, it's funny too because right, right at that, uh, at that moment, they're they're sort of. It sounds like they're relaying like this advice that they've shared back and forth a bunch of times. Yeah. It says, "Stay low, move fast, think smart, smart and, and if you, you go." go Take company, company along. along. Yeah. And then MacGyver's yeah. like, get out of here. <laughs> but what he says, as he's saying, if you go, take company along, Pete's yeah. making a run for the door by himself. Yeah. With nobody with him. Goodbye, Pete. And uh, just... Honest, this this actually might be Pete's fault because he doesn't wait long enough for other people to come out. He just goes straight for straight his for satellite phone. phone. But uh, they do wait like four minutes after he left. They should have all just gone out together right away. Yeah. And then just start splitting up. That that was the plan, but they didn't execute it. Yeah. And then he does find the phone. And like you said, this looks like it's actually a secret room in the yeah. trophy room. Yeah. Because like he, he pushes on a wall and it opens up. I mean, that could have been anywhere. But when you see the reverse angle from inside, there's a, a very tight spiral staircase that goes up. And when you see over his shoulder, it's the trophy room. Yeah, and so it's so like, it looks uh, like this is an actual secret room, yeah. which is pretty awesome. God, I want to have a house with secret rooms. Yeah. Um, well, eventually we'll make enough on this show. Yeah. <laughs> on our nonprofit show. On our nonprofit show. <laughs> um, so Pete picks up the phone, and uh, what does he say? Red, red. I think is the code. Yeah, he he says uh, this is Deputy Chief Pete Thornton 
and then he says emergency code red red and then he says details like as a preface to the details of the case Mm -hmm. but suddenly we get like this sort of it's not a wipe it's like a zoom transition of quail showing up on the camera of this phone and he's like but i already know the details (laughs) it's really creepy it's like genuinely terrifying and then uh he hits a switch and pizza uh shock gets an electric shock yeah the phone electrocutes him um which is like did so first of all, he knew that Pete brought this satellite phone mm-hmm. that he left it in this room, and then he went and found it and rigged it up to the house electricity to za- to like zap him. Or it was, again, a part of the kit that Karen anything Karen is associated uh, with. Yeah, because she seems to be like assisting, like so she could have she could have done any number of things. That's true, and she knows where all the secret uh, peepholes and stuff are in the house. Right. So she's 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 worked she's been close to whatever is happening here. Yeah. Um, and this is where uh, she leaves the kitchen mm-hmm. and goes and finds Quail, and this is the official reveal yeah. of she's been working with him. Um, she's kind of set them up. Potentially, she worked this uh, this home into their list of safe houses. Mm-hmm. Um, although I think Pete might actually say that they've had the house for a while and that it hasn't been used in a long time. Yeah. But if he doesn't say that, then this this is a house that she worked into their database yeah, some, of some, potential safe houses. Yeah, it, it's it's just unusual because it, it would obviously take a long time to set this house up for all these traps. And uh, to my recollection, this is the first time that we, we see the trope of, like, you said you weren't going to hurt anybody mm-hmm. when someone's, like, assisting and then... Yeah, it's very clear that they're probably going to switch sides at some point. Yeah. This, this evil organization that's doing horrible things—you won't kill these people, though, right? Right. What did you think this mission was that we were going to bring them here and just like embarrass them and then yeah. send them on their way? No, that doesn't make sense. Uh, it, it's I just playing up to the naivete, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, you know, we see that Karen is is conflicted about what's happening. Yeah. Even even though she is part of part of it. And we get a little bit of a hint as to her motivation for cooperating with him when he says like, she mentions that she doesn't want anyone to get hurt, mm-hmm. or she said there this was going to be a simple mission without hurt. Yeah. Which is an odd way of putting it. And then he says, well, you have someone else you should be more worried about. Yeah. And right here, I don't, I can't tell if it seems like. Either they're in a relationship and he's talking about himself, mm-hmm. or it's not clear who he mentions here. Yeah. But uh, it comes up later. Exactly. So he, he tells her that he's not interested um, in having this conversation and that he needs to know what MacGyver's doing because he's got everything blocked in the, in the kitchen. In the kitchen, yeah. So uh, Karen takes like a little portable radio from Quail and goes to a peephole in the kitchen that's behind this portrait of flowers because he needs to know what macgyver's up to Mm -hmm. and macgyver has started to rig up he's taken the suit of armor he's created this really intense uh rigging system of wire it seems totally unnecessary yeah and and there's so much wire like he's got like every facet and hole looped around of wire yeah he made a whole medieval puppet Mm -hmm. out of this thing and uh, he's got it all hooked up to uh, like a trolley, like a serving trolley cart, and uh, then he's using like an egg beater or whatever. Yeah, like a like a cake oh, mixer kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, but he he pretty much found every single battery in the kitchen to make this block of batteries to yeah. to make a motor powerful enough to turn this blender on. Yeah. Um, and uh, he you know Karen reports back in what he's doing by the kitchen door, 
and he sets the cart loose now with the suit of armor to try to draw the guns away. Now, he's doing this without telling Pete, without telling Karen what he what he has planned to do yeah. to make an escape. Yeah, it seems like he's making this escape on his own. Yeah, because the plan was Pete for Pete to call it in. Right. Not to have someone try to make a getaway. Yeah. But the other thing that's uh, kind of funny here is when she goes to spy on him, she, she like you said, she's looking through a peephole in a painting. So she puts her finger on the painting and sort of pushes this little circle of painting down. Mm-hmm. But she's pushing it down into the painting, like yeah. behind the painting. There would be no way to get it back up mm-hmm. to close, like to cover yeah, the peephole. Could... But then when she finishes looking through it, she's just like kind of tapping on it. Yeah. It appears. Um, but yeah. And so she says, Oh, MacGyver's uh, building something. He's in the corner of the kitchen. He's like, I just need to know what Dory's going to come out of. Stop wasting my time. Yeah. And it's like, you, you need to know what he's doing right here. Yeah. This is important. Because he ends up using it as a means to escape. Yeah. He, he takes this, uh, the trolley cart with the medieval helmet on it. Um, and he, takes it out into the yard the courtyard and he starts it up so it's moving along and at at first it's it's almost pointless because he could be climbing behind these bushes unseen yeah without the thing right and he's following it too so the guns are still shooting in his general vicinity Mm -hmm. they're they're ricocheting you you can hear the ricochets yeah these bolts are flying Um, and uh so he's just following this cart through the yard also i mean for people who are familiar with the house, it's in the smack and dab in the middle of Beverly Hills. Yeah. People are going to be hearing all these Yeah, you're going to hear this. But, I mean, for the purposes of the show, it really could be anywhere. Yeah. It could be right in the middle of a vineyard or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so funny to think that. I mean, obviously, people think of L.A. as, like, gunshots. Ah! But not in Beverly Hills. You yeah. Know, you, you just hear, hear you hear the Uzis going off, and you're like, oh, they must be shooting something. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Uh. He manages to draw the guns away with the armor. He, like, leads it off into a corner. Yeah, it, and gets, then... it gets stuck at one point, mm-hmm. but then he dislodges it and just kind of shoves it. Because it seems like at this point it's not running on its own power anymore. Yeah, or it's having trouble. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he just sends it off and it crashes into a wall. And while the guns are focused on it, he just he just makes a run for it. Although he does wait for it to completely stop moving before he makes his yeah, bolt, which is seems unsafe. But um, it works well enough. The point is that the the guns can't shoot two directions at once, so yeah, yeah. Um, they're going to follow this target um, up to the wall, and then MacGyver's going to run the other way, jump mm-hmm. over the hedges, and get out. And the whole time, uh, Karen Blake's watching from a window in the house. Yeah. She's like, oh, it looks like he got away. And then Quail's like, I'll get him back. Come back! That's <laughs> <laughs> so great. But, and then he follows it up with, I've got Thornton! And it's like, okay, well, now you now you yeah. actually have a way to get me back. Yeah, I just yeah. I wish he'd left that off. And he's just like, come back. And MacGyver <laughs> just turns around. Pretty please. <laughs> I'll give you a dollar. <laughs> but, um, and then MacGyver I, turns back and he says, I'll turn off the guns so you can mm-hmm. come back. And it's like, what is his motivation for actually turning off the guns? Yeah. <laughs> just leave the guns on, man. Kill MacGyver. <laughs> Kill MacGyver. <laughs> what is your problem? Uh, this you, is why you failed last time. Yeah, you you get too involved in uh, in your MacGyver in man theatrics. crush. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's really what's going on here. Yeah. Is that he's obsessed with MacGyver. The next act picks up where MacGyver's on his way back and Karen's talking to Quail. And Quail does this 
couple of line deliveries where he really has hard G's. Yeah, he's hitting the G's super hard. And he has a whole sentence full of them. And so it's like, now get going, girl, before MacGyver. And it's like, gah, 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 gah. get going before MacGyver. <laughs> and uh, so Karen, like, composes herself and goes to the trophy room and sees Pete lying unconscious and screams. Yeah. Uh, we should mention here, um, when when we see Pete get zapped, there's also like a wide shot of the room where you can see him on the floor. Yeah. And there's a pillow under his head. Exactly. Which, um, it looks like they, they forgot to get a wide angle on Pete collapsed in the room mm-hmm. uh, back when that scene was taking place. And so they used a shot from later in the episode. Yeah. Because when she and MacGyver go in and find Pete lying unconscious on the ground, um, she actually puts a pillow under his head. So right. that's the pillow that we're seeing in the earlier shot. Uh, and But she, when she sees him and Mac... Uh, runs to her to her aid and she says he's dead he's been electrocuted from across the room she says this yeah she didn't witness it she's just stating it yeah and instantly like heavy suspicion on that line of dialogue yeah which i even watching it the first time i was like okay yeah my guy was gonna see through that mm-hmm. and uh so they make their way back to the kitchen where macgyver tries to he he feigns again, like trying to make out and and get embracing with her again, and she's like, "Oh, she's super creeped out by it." Yeah, even um, though earlier she was totally into it. Yeah, um, but then uh, he used that opportunity to grab the radio, the radio that she was keeping in her belt. Yeah, it's just tucked into her belt in a place that he could probably have seen it while she was walking. He around. probably she points did. her back at him a bunch of times. Yeah, she he probably did. Is like, what the heck is that thing in your back? Yeah, I guess she doesn't have pockets, so yeah. she doesn't have much of a choice. But, uh, you know, then, you know, he goes into this whole thing about how can you betray your country? You, you hurt Pete. How much are they paying you? Mm-hmm. And she says, paying? You think I'm doing this for money? Mm-hmm. And at this point, I'm like, is she in a relationship with Quail? And then she follows it up with, they've got my brother. Yeah. Oh, he, okay. Yeah. He went on a mission in Czechoslovakia and got caught. And now they're using him as leverage to get her to do things. Which, what bothers me here is that. So her brother worked for DXS, presumably. Yeah, yeah. she says that she he works for Mr. Thorne. They both work for the department. They're siblings that both work for the department. Mm-hmm. One of them is missing in action. Yeah. And demands are being made on his life. And then the other one is being put in charge of this mission. Like, it just seems weird that it's like, why isn't someone from DXS trying to get your brother already? Why wasn't, why isn't that MacGyver's mission right now? Or, or the fact that she's emotionally compromised and should probably... Not, not be working. Beyond, yeah, they know like, her brother mission. is kidnapped. Yeah, like th- there's there's a lot of situations there. I feel that, that are violating protocol, but uh, so MacGyver then realizes that, and he 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 tries to like comfort her in the fact that uh, we're gonna get Quail, but she's all, "What about my brother? What if we'll, we'll use Quail as a bargaining ship?" Right. Because if Quail fails this mission. They're gonna want to make an example of Quail, like right. this, the, this evil organization. They're gonna want to say, "This is what happens when you fail us." Yeah, and I think that's more important to them than the the loyalty of their group is probably more important than this brother that they have. Yeah, uh, who in all likelihood is probably dead. Is right? probably dead. Uh, but she says, "What if that doesn't work?" And then MacGyver says, "Then I'll go to get him myself." Yeah, wherever he is. <laughs> and at this point, it sounds like that's all she needed. Mm-hmm. to be 100% convinced that she's switching teams. Which, I don't know why you use someone in this position as, like, a pawn in your, like, MacGyver kill. 
It's like just get another bad guy that you are have a, an allegiance with. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense to put someone who's bound to double cross you on the team in charge of like again catching MacGyver. Again, very emotionally compromised individual. Yeah, under for duress. both sides. Yeah. Yeah. So it not a good plan. Quail. This is why Quail fails. But uh, maybe he just he's he's hooked on the dramatics of it and and he just likes the challenge and he likes you know involving as many twists and turns as he can yeah uh they grab some stuff from the kitchen they grab uh, some vinegar and baking soda and he, he takes it with it in mind but he doesn't bring a container because when they walk out into the main hallway quill's quill's pretty much fed up at this point yeah and he triggers his final set of traps which are these secret panels that open up full of a. Uh, Guns that are just constantly firing, but they have a spotlight that they follow. And so the spotlights are, right. like, on a pre-programmed, like, loop of swoops. Yeah, it looks like a dance party. Yeah, <laughs> a very <laughs> deadly dance party. Yeah. Um, it's. I was looking at trying to figure out how they did it, because it's still within the house, but they're, like, setting off, like, minor ballistics and, yeah, like, yeah. squibs and stuff. And it's like, mm, they probably wouldn't want you to do that to the house. Yeah. But it looks like what they're doing as far as, like, when it impacts the wood... It looks like they're just spraying dust, like wood-colored dust, shooting it out from behind the, the wood as if a bullet hit it and you're seeing fragments yeah, yeah. of wood. But it's clearly just like a spray of air. Pushing. And it could be a false wall that they put up mm-hmm. in front of the real wall in the house. Yeah. Um, so they're caught in the middle of all these like sweeping lights and Quail says like, you know, they'll eventually, they'll eventually sweep in and kill you. Yeah, but they're uh, just taking their time mm-hmm. to be sadistic. Uh, and so MacGyver grabs like an urn or some kind of. I don't know yeah, if it's it... an urn. He just dumps someone's ashes on the floor. <laughs> he just throws them up. Smoke or screen. he leaves them. <laughs> he just, oh, forget the ingredients. This is perfect. I'll just, just what I needed. sprinkle the gray stones. Grain dust explosion. <laughs> uh, would that work with human ashes? Um... <laughs> That'd be pretty awesome if, if he used an urn with human ashes in it to cause. Uh, what what does he call it? Uh, spontaneous combustion, combustion explosion yeah. in someone's face. <laughs> that was my grandmother. <laughs> what are you doing, you monster? <laughs> but yeah, so these lights are moving all around the room and mm-hmm. firing on everything, and uh, he starts mixing up his ingredients in this this giant vase. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it creates a smoke screen. But to me, the guns are just firing at anything. Like it, it's not going to hide them from the guns. Yeah, the guns are just automatic so yeah they're not they're not looking at the light and saying oh is there something there that for me to shoot at it's just they're just shooting wherever the light goes yeah um they're like cats yeah um it is kind of cool though when the smoke's going up and you just see like all the purple because it's a purple light which is kind of interesting too yeah um you just see like all these purple beams sweeping across the room uh but karen leads macgyver over to a secret door that takes him into like the interior of the the passageways of the house where apparently quail has not rigged cameras. Right. And, uh, their, their plan is basically to cut the power to the house. Right. Because if there's no power to the house, quail quail's whole system is dependent on having electricity. And so they, they make their way through the bowels of the house. And Karen at this point, again, why she held the, she held onto this particular information. I don't know. She says, I know where quail is. It's like what? You could have said this a lot yeah, earlier. Yeah, in the kitchen maybe. It's like, do you know where? Like, if my guy said, do you know where he is? Yeah. 
So they're heading down to the power room, and MacGyver, they just start laying, like, vent pipe, ventilation ducting. Yeah, yeah. Um, they just keep piling stuff in front of, of Quail. So that if he did try to advance on them, he would have to make a lot of noise on his way down the yeah. hallway. And, uh, and then in the electrical room, they set up, like, a... He calls it Primrose Path, where they they align they align the junk in such a way that he has to walk past a certain point, where he's got all the electric for the house yeah. just tore apart. Yeah, and it's really I, again I don't know how he's doing this without not getting electrocuted. Right, because he's got bare copper wire and he's just like handling it and hooking things up. Uh, there's a great insert shot of like a whole bunch of wires that he's screwing together, down, yeah. which will be part of the opening credits later on. I think it starts in, with the second season. Yeah, and uh, and then he starts like fiddling with the power switch, causing like Quail's little compound of lights to go on and off. Yeah, and uh, Quail's just getting furious about it. His hair is getting more and more. Like the comb over is starting to come undone. Yeah, <laughs> and I wonder if if maybe Quail didn't pick up on it, but MacGyver's insulting him in Morse code like he did from the pilot, <laughs> like sending him a message by turning off his lights. Uh, so Quail loads up his Uzi and goes starts going out to find him. And MacGyver now has it's not really clear how he rigs it up, but it's some kind of water pump, right? Um, that he has connected to a hose and uh, uh, like a line. And they have a mirror so they can see when, like, be out of sight and get Quail into position. And as Quail starts making his way down the hallway, you know, he crashes through all the, the, the things that they have in the, the way. Ventilation and everything. Yeah. My favorite part is that he encounters a door. And so he just, you know, he, he cocks back. He starts firing through he the He just handle. starts unloading on the doorknob and he goes to kick it and it doesn't break. And then. It, because he's trying to kick it into the room, yeah. but the door opens out, <laughs> and he just kicks it, and nothing happens, and then you just see him open the door. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's been unlocked the whole time, but I fired a bunch of shots through it, and he yeah. kicked it the wrong way. <laughs> just open it. Um, but their MacGyver's plan doesn't end up working, because Quail starts like this weird crouchy kind of maneuver as he's coming through the room. Like He sees all the junk piled up, and he seems pretty cautious of it. And so he's trying to stay below their eye line while but he's got his gun They have this periscope set up. They used a mirror, mm-hmm. and um, they're trying to keep an eye on him as he comes into the room. Right, but but now because MacGyver had set it up with Karen in place standing up, right? Right, and, and now that he's crouching, yeah. they can't see where he is. So yeah. Karen stupidly reaches up yeah. and tries to adjust the mirror. And good shot by Quail, man. He hits that mirror dead on. Yeah, it just explodes right right next to her hand. And uh, you know he's like, you know, time to come out. But then Karen pops out. Pretending now to be on Quail's side again. Right. She comes. She comes around the corner with a. Uh, oh, thank God you 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 found us. MacGyver was setting up a trap, mm-hmm. and MacGyver is playing right into it. Like, oh, I thought I could trust you. Yeah. And she's all, "We're on the same side, aren't we, Quail? Huh? And, huh? Aren't we? We're on the same <laughs> team, eh? Are we, Quail? Good old buddy." But Quail says, uh, "I'm a geometric oddity or uh, rarity." A geometric rarity. I love that line. <laughs> I'm a geometric rarity, my right dear. One side, myself. <laughs> That's such a good line. Uh, and so... I think it's a point, though, right? Right. If you have no sides, sides just point, one side is a or, point. Or, or a line. But uh, she she pushes him into the path of the water pump, which then MacGyver uses to, to spray him down along with the electrical like soup that he's spaghetti that he's got behind him. 
Which doesn't kill which, Quail. But it seems like it very easily could have. Yeah. At which point he would make a terrible bargaining chip <laughs> yeah. for her brother's life. We've got Quail. Here he is. It's like empty Here's out the corpse. Bed. All right, now where's my brother? <laughs> um, no. Here's, here's your brother. <laughs> Bang. <laughs> uh, corpse for a corpse. <laughs> <laughs> Makes the world corpses. Uh, but it doesn't kill him. It, like, <laughs> it, it just shocks him. Um, and then MacGyver just comes in and just does the classic MacGyver punch and then ouch like from the punch. Right. He, he has, the, the, it's kind of a funny line as he's pulling him away from the thing. He says, this one's free of charge. Yeah. Like he just pulled him free of the electric charge and mm. then says, this one's free of charge and then punches <laughs> him in the face. And he's, yeah, out cold. Yeah. MacGyver's got quite a right arm on him because i think as i recall quill like falls and like hits a whole bunch of stuff on the way down right. too. it's like a quite a prat fall yeah um and well, macgyver took out uh, nielsen with his right in the last episode mm-hmm. yeah and he was yeah. like you know succumbing to this poisoning so he was he was not even in his right mind and he still had a quite a wallop well what i like about it is that macgyver is not ultra tough when he punches someone he throws hurts. his whole body into it yeah. yeah and it hurts him like he, he's like he's always like going ah um, and, uh, with the episode over, it comes back to like Pete kind of coming out of it and he's on the, he's already on the phone, like calling it in and, uh, Mrs. Chung starts to slowly come to and, uh, talk about solving a puzzle. Right. And then, uh, I just rewatched this episode again last night, um, with, uh, my wife, Jessica, and she had pointed out that she's coming out of her sort of sleepiness and remembers mm-hmm. oh i was supposed to solve a puzzle and then macgyver says don't worry there's no puzzle to solve i think we just solved it it's like no there's still a puzzle to yeah. solve you didn't solve a puzzle yet that you the quail had no part of what she was trying to do like, yeah you have this list of names that she's supposed to be decoding for you mm-hmm. and uh because because quail says like you know like is this all of it you know pete pete says something along the line says all this for the, the list and he says no no i was just commissioned to destroy it uh so it is important that it's destroyed. Right. There is information in there that's damaging to the yeah. organization. Uh, but uh, they're acting like, oh, yeah, we don't need to solve that anymore. And it's like the, the whole Quail. point of bringing her on was to decode this message that he smuggled out of the country. Mm-hmm. And and Quail was just a side mission. It had nothing yeah. to do with it. So they still got a lot of work to do. Right. But now the computer's gone. Right. The computer's gone. <laughs> I have not even activated it. <laughs> Uh, and all's well that ends well. This is an incredible episode of MacGyver. I really like this episode. I love like crazy houses uh, with secret passages and and booby traps. It it just works out so well. Yeah, and the the villain could not be hamming it up more in such a great way. Oh, like, it, I'm really glad they brought him back. Mm-hmm. I almost wish they brought him back for more. He, he was he's in three more episodes, and I wish he was in more than that. I wish he was in more as quail sure yeah like i really want quail like i mean obviously we, we get murdoch later on who's and murdoch is great yeah but quail is such a different kind of villain yeah he's guess... very shakespearean yes yeah like quail uh, quail and murdoch are similar only in the in the in the respects that they go through really elaborate methods right to take someone out uh but what i like about quail is that quail so easily quail so full of himself that he's very easily manipulated just by just by complimenting him. So I wish there had been more of him. But uh, it kind of feels like every time he's in a scene that what happened was he acted it and they were like, can you give it a little bit more energy? And then he did it a second take. And then they're like, 
can you give it more energy? And eventually he just got fed up and was like, oh, you mean like this? Should I act like this? And they were like, <laughs> cut, print. <laughs> like, that's perfect. You, you got it. Like, you got it. He just got so pissed off that he was basically trying to get fired, and they were like, that's exactly what we were looking for. Well, great. <laughs> oh, well, perfect. The perfect match. <laughs> for what you wanted. Uh... I, I like this episode. This episode is so memorable to me. Yeah. Um, and probably ranks pretty high for me as just MacGyver episodes overall. But I, it's hard. You know, I keep thinking about all the episodes that I've really loved, and they've all been in this first season so far. Yeah. And it's probably because that was the one that has re- been replayed the most. Yeah. You know, like, and it's also like if you ever get that feeling you're like oh i'm gonna watch some macgyver and you pull it up on netflix like you're gonna watch from the first season first when you're just scrolling through the episodes so mm-hmm. you, you end up just by accident watching more of those ones yeah all right well i think that about wraps it up for uh death lock death lock or death clock as we death keep clock. accidentally calling it <laughs> i don't know why but it's is it maybe just the from way Metalocalypse or something like yeah, that <laughs> it's it's a it's a little bit from metalocalypse and it's a little bit just because Every time you read Deathlock as one word, mm-hmm. it kind of looks like Death Clock for some reason. Yeah. I also don't really know what that's a reference to. Death Clock? No, well, Deathlock. Oh, Deathlock. As a title. Like, like you're in... You're locked like a, in this house and, and you're going to die. Well, like a, I guess like a... Like locked in a struggle, but a Deathlock. That actually sounds pretty good, actually. <laughs> I'm going to pull out where I even questioned it. <laughs> and uh, if you want to reach out to us, um, you can reach us on Twitter at Opening Gambit, all one word. Um, you can find us on our website, phoenixfoundationpodcast.com. And you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash phoenixfoundationpodcast. And as always, if you want to shoot us a review on iTunes, uh, we'd appreciate it. Tune in next week. We're going to be covering Season 1, Episode 13, Flames End, which is awesome. Yeah, it's I really. I love this episode. <laughs> so that's going to be a fun one. So thank you again for listening.